0: Farm Talk on C-103 with the Dairy Gold Prime Elite Rumi Force Calf Cube. Maximise calf performance and health at grass by optimising the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme with John O'Connor. Later in the programme, public input invited for a proposed new farmer-centric biomethane strategy. We have a tillage review and the IFA organised support for their protesting European Union counterparts. But first in our programme, the Board of Dairy Gold Cooperative Society Limited, our sponsor, following a board meeting on 25th of January 2024, say they're pleased to announce year-end payments of 0.5 cents per litre, including VAT, on 2023 milk supply and €2 euro per tonne, excluding VAT, on grain supply, excluding morting barley and contracted beans. These payments are in recognition of the challenging year which suppliers had in 2023, with reduced prices following falling market returns, input costs remaining relatively high, and challenging weather conditions. The milk payment is also in recognition of the strong participation levels in Dairy Gold's Grassroots Milk Supplier Sustainability Bonus Scheme, with 90%-plus of Dairy Gold's milk supply now included in the scheme and active participation in the individual initiatives. Environmental sustainability continues to be the biggest challenge facing agriculture, and Dairy Gold has prioritised the areas of water quality, climate and biodiversity, underpinned by efficiencies at farm level. Member participation initiatives like the grassroots milk supplier sustainability bonus scheme is absolutely critical to deliver on the climate targets and to improve water quality to protect the nitrates derogation. The Dairygold board say they continue to ensure that the best possible milk and grain prices are paid to its suppliers in line with Dairygold's ethos, and as a result, is pleased to be able to make these payments. A statement there from the board of Dairy Gold Cooperative Society Limited, our sponsor, regarding year end payments to milk and grain suppliers. In recent days, Irish farmers have been showing their solidarity with farmers across Europe. The IFA president, Fancy Gorman, said farmers across the nation supported their EU counterparts in their protests against general farming conditions. The IFA president encouraged farmers to join their local event in support of their EU counterparts and to support with tractors. He said farmers here in Ireland have been watching the protests across Europe. Farmers here were just as frustrated by what's happening as farmers were in other countries. He said they feel they're being regulated out of business by what he called Brussels bureaucrats and Department of Agriculture officials, whom he claimed were far removed from the reality of day-to-day farming. He said Irish farmers are pro-EU, but there's mounting frustration about the impact of EU policy on European farmers and its implementation here in Ireland. Francie Gorman said, the general feeling amongst farmers across the European Union is that enough is enough. Part of a statement there from the IFA issued in respect of the farmer protest in Ireland last Thursday. IFA President, Mr. Francis Gorman, has led a delegation to meet the Revenue Commissioners on the issue of VAT rebates to farmers who have carried out essential works on their farms. Under VAT58 rules, farmers who aren't registered for VAT can reclaim VAT on certain capital expenditure items. Issues have arisen in recent months whereby some items, which farmers had previously received refunds on, are no longer eligible, apparently. Francie Gorman said the IFA laid out the importance of these refunds for farmers to enable them make investments on their farms when they met the Revenue Commissioners. After engagement on the issue, revenue officials confirmed to IFA that refunds would be available on drafting gates, hydraulic scrapers and new build milking parlours. It was also outlined by Revenue that VAT refunds are not applicable on heat and health monitoring systems or slurry bags. The IFA Farm Business Chair, Mr Bill O'Keefe, said there are still a number of items the IFA believes a VAT refund should be allowed on. It was agreed at this meeting that IFA would make a further submission on these items. Revenue, the IFA statement said, has committed to issuing a detailed guidance document to help bring clarity to the matter after these submissions are considered. The IFA President, Mr. Francis Gorman, concluded by saying, We will continue to work on this vital issue for agriculture and look forward to further engagement with revenue in order to see a satisfactory outcome for all farmers. Coming up next, Cork West Ploughing. We are joined on the farm programme by Ms. Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association, Caroline, welcome to the programme. You now have an update on ploughing matters in West Cork.
1: Yes, I do, John, and thank you very much. Uh, This coming Sunday, the 4th of February, Britain will hold their annual 39th ploughing match that is weather permitting on the lands of Dennis and Mary Murphy, Barna Gark, Britain. And that's P72F968. Entries are to be with Dan Hurley on zero eight seven two three two. Four three two two. That number again: zero eight seven two three two four three two two. By ten a.m. today, is Saturday the third of February. Ploughing will commence on um, eleven o'clock sharp. Now, uh, for a rescheduled match, this is also depending on weather. This is on Monday, the bank holiday, the fifth of February. Kilmeen Ploughing Association are holding their fly match on the lands of John and Declan Bushmer Guerra Rossmore, P P85 Y319 and the entries have to be with Jared Collins on 087 so that's 087 775 by 10 a.m. today Ploughing will also commence at 11am, Sha.
0: That's fine. And, of course, the weather, as usual, playing a very important role.
1: Putting everything all
0: out of, out of kelter. So we, we hope that uh, things go ahead. But if they don't, it's no real surprise if uh, a decision is taken that due to weather, things are postponed. Thanks, Caroline, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Okay, John,
1: and thank you very much.
0: Joining us on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme, Dr Siobhan Walsh, Tillage Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Siobhan, welcome to the programme. Now, with the terrible weather we've had, the on and off bad weather, people wonder just exactly what's happening with Tillage. Now, in your article, in fact, uh, your several articles in the journal regarding winter crops, etc., you point out in one that only 62% of winter crops are in the ground. What's the background to that, Siobhan?
2: Yeah, hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so th- those are the results of the, the Chagas Winter Planting Survey, which some of your listeners might have taken part in, and they were released at the Chagas Village Conference on Wednesday in Kent Kilkenny this week. Um, so, look, as as we all know, we've had very bad weather. Um, we had better, bad weather at harvest time and continued then to have bad weather all throughout the autumn and winter. Um, so, really, there was a very short window to get winter crops in, John. And that's the background to it. People didn't get their winter crops in. So we have um, the planned area that they had to get in is they only got 62% of that in. And, and that, that amount varies across the country. Um, so the east of the country is worst affected. Um, and, you know, they would be down on, on the lower end of the scale with some farmers maybe with no crops in and then, you know, there was examples at the village conference with farmers with forty five and, and, and even thirty percent of their winter crops in. Um so so that's that's kind of where that is is, John. Um and then I suppose the other problem is that some of the crops that are in are in very bad condition. So um People are are now looking at these crops and deciding um, what to do with them, whether they need to re-sow them or alter their management decisions on them. So obviously if the crop isn't, if it doesn't look look very good, then you need to reduce the amount that you're going to spend on it because the yield isn't going to be there.
0: Could you give some idea of the number of farmers involved in the survey, Siobhan?
2: Yes, so um, I think there was 1,414, I think it was, John, and there's the surveys that they could use in the end of it. Um, and those farmers represented about 30,000 hectares um, of winter crops, that is. So it's, it's quite a comprehensive survey and, you know, it's very good. You know, you could trust the results very much from it because of those numbers. Um, and, you know, divided up, very comprehensive in, in the way it divided up the, the different counties and regions and then how it divided up the different establishment systems. So we saw in it as well, you know, people who were using direct drill seemed to get on better So they have an average of 71% of their winter crops in, and that's probably because they went a little bit early. And, you know, there's other issues around that as well as regards grass weeds and and disease control. If you plant too early, you're going to have a higher risk of those things. But look, those people have their crops in now. Um, And people who plough got about 60% of their winter crops in on average. Um, So, yeah, and then... Um, the people who have to resow, most of them look to be in the the east of or the higher numbers of them look to be in the east of the country which is yeah, so that's 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 it, John.
0: And Cork and Waterford, how did Cork and Waterford fare in respect of as a percentage you quote?
2: Yeah, so um actually did quite well, which some of your listeners may find um surprising because Cork did quite badly you know, early on in the planting season, um and you know, we we remember back to the floods around Middleton and those areas. But it seems as, as time went on, um, Cork seemed to pick up ground and, and got kind of a planting window um at at a time when other um places dif- didn't get them. And just as I look at the, the figures like if I look at Cork there Cork and Washford, um people who were ploughing got sixty six percent of their winter crops in, people with plough and min till um got 85% of their crops in and and mintil only 63%. So if you come then if you compare that then um you know kind of a good area in the country to get crops in was Kildare Carlo Leash. So people on a plough basis system only got 64% of their crops in. So Cork actually has more in there. Um 76% plough and mintil in Kildare Carlo Kildare and Leash, apologies, and 74% on mintil. Um, so so Cork and Washford have actually, they recovered from a bad start I suppose
0: The unharvested crop loss support scheme, roughly how much would that be to help people who haven't been able to harvest their crops due to extremely bad weather or surprise unseasonal weather?
2: That came out this week John, so the Minister um, announced it this week um, it, it's 272 farmers I think will be paid out of the scheme um, and they're they'll get paid €1,000 a hectare. So it's a, it's a really significant payment. Um, John, you know, very hard on those people who don't have their crops cut, but they're going to get a good payment now from the Department of Agriculture. Um, and he announced that on Tuesday, I think, this week. So, And along with that then, when so there was an underspend. So um, there was £8 million dedicated to tillage in the budget. The minister then said he was going to use that on the unharvested crop scheme um, and then, obviously, that wasn't as spent to the full amount. Um, so the scheme that the minister announced earlier on in the autumn, um, which was kind of a tillage support, um, it came from a reserve fund that was to, to support agriculture um, with the, uh, with, from the effects of the war in Ukraine. So there was there was about there was just over seven million euro in that. So he's now joined that seven million euro wish. Um, the other €8 million minus the unharvested crops money, which means that tillage farmers will now get paid €50 hectare on a maximum of 100 hectares, I think it is. So that money came out first. It was a payment of €28 hectare or €11 an acre, and tillage farmers weren't happy, to be honest, um, with the amount that it was. So it's good to see that that payment topped up now.
0: Flexibility around crop diversification requirements.
2: Yeah, so, like, you know, given all that we've just talked about, John, you know, we've had really bad weather, a lot of people don't have their crops in and are looking at crops that they'll have to re-sow and are looking at bare patches and fields that they're just saying, well, I don't know how I'm going to save this crop or re-sow it because some of it's good and some of it's bad. But there are things that the Department of Agriculture could do to help tillage farmers at the minute. And we have to remember that the Department of Agriculture has a target increase tillage area by fifty-two thousand hectares four hundred thousand hectares um and if you know at the minute it looks like tillage area is going to go down and we had that in the paper last week on the front page um so in order to stop the area from going down and trying to main, to try and maintain the area the department of agriculture needs to help farmers out a bit and very simple things could help farmers out so if we got some flexibility around the tree crop rules so at the minute farmers still have to plant Tree crops. Some farmers may have got no winter crops in, and now we have a seed shortage as well. So are wondering what they'll put in um, as their as their tree crops. So a little bit of either scrap the tree crop rule, which is the ideal situation, or a little bit more flexibility around it, maybe to get rid of the percentages or something. Um, and then bare patches. So under conditionality, which is the new cross compliance, bare patches in crops wouldn't be allowed. Um, but, you know, something really needs to be done about that because the expense involved um, and the damage you could do to other crops in in planting those bare patches, you know, it's it's going to put a lot of cost on people and maybe actually damage the crop that's there. So a few little small changes from the department would go a long way and I suppose they need to come as quick as possible. They don't need to come in April when everyone has, has gone and re-sown their crops, like. Brilliant news this week, John, that we have a carbon footprint figure delivered by Chagas now for Irish grain. So, um, you know, we're always talking about how good Irish grain is and it's environmentally friendly, but we don't know um, until we have figures. So this is just the start of the project. So John Spink presented this at the Chagas Tility Conference um, and it was based on a trial in, in Chagas Oak Park. Um, and there was five years data um, inputted into this system and it came out with a carbon footprint for winter wheat, barley, oats and aisle seed rape. Um, so winter wheat in a rotation um, in a plough-based system has about 169 kgs of, it produces about 169 kgs of carbon per tonne of grain. So that's quite a low figure um, by international standards, um, but what's very important now is we have that figure. Chagas are working with um, the industry to collect more data, to collect data from real farms as opposed to a trial, Um, and then hopefully this figure can be used um, in the production of animal feed, so that we'll be able to calculate um, the carbon footprint of animal feed and be able to show whether Irish grain is more environmentally friendly or not than the other ingredients that are being used. And obviously, we're telling you in the paper this week, it has a much lower carbon footprint than um, maize coming from Brazil, or um, it has a lower carbon footprint than maize coming from the US or or places like that. So, um, really good news, and, you know, it's just the start of that project.
0: Thank you very much indeed for that roundup, uh, Dr. Siobhan Walsh, Tillage Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. We've only touched in our conversation there with uh, Siobhan, we've only touched on a small aspect of the tremendous coverage which Tillage gets in this week's edition of the Irish Farmer's Journal. And that's the edition of Saturday, 3rd of February, 2024. Siobhan, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Miss Liz Duffy, Climate and Sustainability Advisor in Charles Cork East, based in the Middleton office. First of all, Liz, welcome to the programme. Could you kindly give our listeners an overview of the situation regarding greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture
3: sure john um so ireland as part of the eu has committed towards the 2050 target of a carbon neutral economy and the more short-term target is for ireland to reduce total national emissions by 50 percent um, by 2030 compared to where we were in 2018 now this was signed into legislation in 2021 and each sector was given a specific target So the energy sector has to reduce emissions by 75% by switching to renewable forms of energy like solar and wind and also biomethane from anaerobic digesters. The transport section then has a target of 50% reduction so that will be gained through electric vehicles and an improved public transport system. And then within agriculture, um, agriculture was given a target of 25 percent. And your listeners may recall there was a lot of debate around the time when all this has been thrashed out of where the target actually might fall for agriculture. So at that time, indications were somewhere between 22 and 30 percent. But look the final figure is now 25 percent of a reduction, again, relative to where the sector was in 2018. So that against this? Chagas has come up with the roadmap of what needs to be done on our journey towards 2030. And key technologies and actions have been identified that need to be implemented on a very large scale across all farms in the country, regardless of their enterprise or scale of operation. So the Chagas marginal abatement cost curve, which is a bit of a mouthful, but MAC for short, um, identifies the most cost-effective pathway to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and enhance carbon sequestration on farms. There are 16 measures in total that have been identified, ranging from the use of low-emission slurry spreading, fertiliser form- formulation, reduced age at finishing and dairy EBI, just to name a few of them. And the signpost programme was launched almost three years ago in response to getting action implemented on the ground.
0: A brief overview of the Chagask signpost programme, is.
3: Certainly. So the the signpost programme is aimed at guiding the Irish agriculture sector towards sustainability with a primary focus on reducing greenhouse gas and ammonia emissions on farms. The programme itself is directed towards achieving the clear targets that we have within the agriculture sector for 2030, aligned with Ireland's national commitment to combat climate change and reduce emissions from all the sectors of the economy. So to achieve this, the Chagas signpost programme supports the adoption of sustainable practices and on-farm actions. Farmers are encouraged to implement practices that not only benefit the environment, but also enhance the overall efficiency and profitability of their operations. So there's three key pillars within the signpost programme, John. Um, the first is the signpost demonstration farms, which are following the long history of joint programmes that Chagas has with our industry partners, for example, Dairy Gold Co-op. There are 120 of these farms across the whole country and they represent all the main farming enterprises. So we've been encouraging people to attend these events and open days across these farms where they can, where they can see best practice being implemented, see how the host farmer is getting on from a sustainability and a profitability point of view. The signpost advisory program then is the second pillar that I and another 20 advisors across Chagas work in. um, And it's directed at supporting farmers in terms of understanding where the emissions on their farm come from and how they can be reduced by following the the approaches set out in the MAC curve that I mentioned earlier. The third pillar then covers research and there are major programs underway across all the Chagas research stations, but in particularly in our environmental um, section down in Johnstown Castle. One of the key areas of focus in the area of research is carbon sequestration. So if we are going to be able to talk about you know, carbon neutral farms, we need to get a good handle of exactly what is happening across all the soil types of, across the country, the various land uses in terms of carbon being stored in the soil or in the biomass of a, ca- of a canopy, for example, in a forestry or a woodland situation.
0: You're involved, you're working with the signpost advisory team. What does this involve and in fact, how would you interact with uh, farmers, Is
3: OK, John, well, since the signpost advisory team, we started just last summer and we've been meeting farmers through discussion groups, acres courses and the various events that are being held across the Chagas regions. But to begin with, we've been introducing farmers just to the whole issue of greenhouse gases and ammonia emissions from farms. We set the context in terms of the legislation and where that sits. But our main approach really has been to be very clear about the strong link between adopting efficiency measures on farms and the impact that this has on improving farm profitability while also reducing farm emissions. To avail of support and advice from the team, it's open to all farmers. So it's a free service to all regardless of whether you're an existing Chagas client or not. So we ask farmers just to sign up to the program so that we can access their sustainability data um, from their order, sustainability audits that they do through Board BIA. And then we have a piece of software called AgNav that's being developed uh, by Chagas in conjunction with ICBS and Board BIA. So this pulls together all the relevant information on stock numbers, fertilizer, feed use and so on that gives us the full emission profile of the farm. So then through this AGNAV, we can then forecast the emission savings that can be achieved on farm by, say, switching to protected urea. We then go on to develop an action plan with the farmer. And this, as to the two or three key actions he or she will focus on for the next 12 months, so this could be incorporating clover to the swards or focus on the dairy beef index to produce a better quality beef calf from the dairy herd. So basically, we have a discussion with the farmer as to what measures are mo- most appropriate to their own farming system. And then on an ongoing basis to follow up, we then invite farmers to events and open days to continue to support the implementation of the actions.
0: What are the main areas you concentrate on with farmers in terms of the focus on profitability and reducing farm emissions?
3: Well there are four key areas that we hone in on with farmers and they are uh, number one is switching to protected urea, Uh, number two then uh, addressing soil fertility to allow improved nutrient use efficiency and reduce the use of bag nitrogen, three is animal health and breeding and number four then is the incorporation of clover again with the view to reducing total nitrogen use on the farm. So as you can see there's nothing really new in this in terms of good farm management so we're just encouraging farmers to really focus on these areas as to what will have the biggest impact on the farm so just to elaborate then on these points as we all know soil fertility is the foundation of successful farming whether it's a grass you're trying to grow or a tillage crop um by promoting healthy soil and addressing soil fertility issues farmers can uh, improve the tons of grass grown they can reduce the need for artificial fertilizers and generally enhance overall farm productivity so from a tillage perspective the tillage Signpost signpost Programme encourages farmers to adopt soil-friendly practices such as cover cropping, incorporating organic manures that will help to build and maintain optimal soil fertility in the tillage systems. So then in the the grassland scenario, then, we're really just going back to basics and back to first principles when it comes to soil fertility. And the first part of calling that is to look at soil pH. So typically we'd be targeting a pH of 6.2 to 6.3 for grassland. But now that we have developed a better understanding of how clover plant grows, we need to push that pH up to 6.5 or above if we're going to successfully establish and maintain clover within our swords. So liming is, as, as ever, a, a very key component in, in building soil fertility. We need to be including nearly two kilos of clover seed per acre when we're receding, again, to give it the best chance of establishing. And then coupled with this, we need the paddocks and the soil in the paddocks to be at least index three for phosphorus and potash, again, to give the clover the best start that we can. So the first challenge is to get the grass clover sward established, Then we need to adapt our management of these swards so that there is... So this is where the experience of the post farms really comes to the fore, where they share their experiences and they show how they've modified their grazing management again to adopt to, to the clover swards. Also tied in with this, then, is to have the confidence to switch off the chemical nitrogen from the month of May on when there's good clover in the swards. So as you can see, there's a bit of a learning curve when it comes to clover, but to get back to my original starting point in terms of actual soil fertility, we've seen it's possible to save somewhere between maybe 10 and 15% on nitrogen inputs when the pH is right, the P and K are right in our soils, and we still won't compromise on the amount of grass we're growing. Now another one in terms of soils then is the switch from protected urea, or sorry, to to switch to protected urea type fertiliser. So first and foremost... On this, then, there's a direct financial saving when you switch away from can, we'll say, when we compare prices on a kilo of nitrogen basis. So what we are suggesting to farmers currently is that if they go out and price five tonnes of can compared with three tonnes of protected urea, because they both contain roughly the same amount of total nitrogen, but they'll see there's about between 250 to 300 euros uh, of a cost saving by buying the protected urea versus the can. We also need farmers to switch away from ordinary urea due to the ammonia emissions from it. But protected urea is actually a 12% more efficient product than the normal urea. So you can grow the same grass with 12% less protected urea compared to the normal urea. And and again, this has a big impact on the ammonia emissions from your farm. So from figures that we've looked at with farmers to date, we can see, in fairness, there are a lot of people already using protected urea. But look, we need more to be used across more farms and at a higher level um, because really it's such an easy win in terms of our own emissions. So when we, again, when we go back to the figures, we've seen farm emissions drop by between 7 and 8% by simply switching to kind of using about 80% protected urea in terms of their nitrogen. So for a farmer, this means 80% of the fertiliser purchased is protected urea, so they'll save money there. Um, they'll grow the same level of grass and they'll also reduce farm emissions by up to 8% by just this one simple choice.
0: Let's touch on animal breeding in a dairy herd. How does this aspect contribute to the goals of the Chagas signpost programme?
3: Well, I suppose animal breeding plays a crucial role in achieving sustainability, targets, John. And I suppose look, people have been really focused on this over the last number of years hugely. Um, and through selective breeding, farmers have been, you know, building the genetic merit of their dairy herds. More productive, more efficient animals. So, look, we could, this also not only improves milk salad production, but also reduces the environmental footprint per unit of output. And again, the Chagasine Post Programme provides support and guidance for farmers to implement strategic breeding practices that align with sustainability goals. So, no different to anything we would have focused on in the past. We look at EBI, we look at fertility and calving goals, kilos of milk salad, percentage of fat and protein, the size and the weight of cow, and the health sub-index within the EBI. So it's all really about healthy, efficient cows, going in calf, calving every three hundred and sixty-five days with you know long lactations, three hundred days, and achieving more than four lactations per cow. So the more of these we have within a herd, we'll have a good, profitable, efficient and efficient system and ultimately less emissions for a given level of output from the farm. So it's important that people look at the bottom five or ten percent of the, the herd in terms of low performance question, are they paying their way? And also tied in with this is tightening replacement rate down to 18 or 20 percent. You know, a lot of people have been bringing in a lot of heifers over the years, so we can try and tighten that up now. And also focusing on the heifers that they're all calving between 22 and 26 months. Because we know that rearing heifers is an expensive game, so look, another area just to look at there in terms of herd efficiency.
0: Now, you mentioned clover clover and the role of clover. How does clover contribute to sustainability in connection with your Chagas sign post-program?
3: Yeah, so just, just back to basics with the clover plant, really, um, you know, most people know it, it, it's a, nit- a nitrogen-fixing plant, so it takes nitrogen from the atmosphere and converts it to nitrogen in, it, in, its, in its nodules. Um, so it, it uses that nitrogen to grow itself, and it also gives nitrogen to the grass in the sward beside it. So by incorpor- incorporating clover into grasslands, farmers can achieve a more sustainable grazing system As I said, the clover plant itself um, can contribute between 80 to 100 kilos of nitrogen to the grass plant. So obviously this represents a fantastic opportunity to save on chemical nitrogen. So it not only benefits the environment and water quality by minimizing any potential excess nitrate leaching, but also improves the nutritional content of the forage that the cows are grazing. Less nitrogen from bag fertilizer means less emissions from fertilizer use on the farm. As I mentioned before, this is probably, like incorporating clover, it's probably more of a slow burner on farms in terms of getting a good level, firstly, getting a good level of clover into the paddocks. And then coupled with this is the management of the swords to maintain clover content and also alleviate the risk of bloat with the grazing animals. So, John, just to summarise all I've gone through from a, a greenhouse gas reduction targets point of view, I suppose, look, we're looking at soil fertility, we're looking at animal breeding, and we're looking at the benefits of clover in grasslands. And, you know, that's just an, an overview of the Chagas signpost programme and its efforts toward, towards a more sustainable agricultural sector.
0: Well, certainly, there's a very clear outline there of what we're hoping to do, of what we're striving to achieve with the Chagas signpost programme. If people are interested in getting more information about uh, the Chagas signpost programme, what should they do?
3: As I mentioned, John, this is the, the Signpost program is a free service. It's available to all farmers, all enterprises. As I said, it doesn't matter if you're a Chagas client or not. So I think the best thing to do is just to make contact with our local Chagas office who will put them in contact with the local climate and sustainability advisor. As I said, there's a team of twenty-one of us across all the Chagas regions. Or if people are just looking for some general information, they can start um just by Googling Chagas signpost and they'll be brought to the website where there's a huge number of reports and fact sheets in relation to you know, farming practices and farm emissions.
0: Speaking there to Ms Liz Duffy, Climate and Sustainability Advisor in Chagas, Cork East, based at the Middleton Chagas office. Thank you. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Mr Stephen Robb, Renewables Editor Irish Farmers Journal. First of all Stephen welcome to the programme. Now in the Irish Farmers Journal uh, this week, the edition of Saturday 3rd of February twenty twenty-four, you look at a farmer centric biomethane strategy. What exactly is this? Because we've spoken before about our relative backwardness in building ADs anaerobic digesters but will this farmer centric biomethane strategy improve things would you say?
4: Thanks, John. Um, Yeah, look, it was supposed to improve things. It was supposed to give us real clarity on the the way which our government um, envisaged um, the sector developing, um, the the way that the government envisaged developers and farmers coming together to actually build these plants and and get to that 200-figure or or 5.7 terawatt hour of biomethane production by 2030. That's our target. It's in the climate action plan. Um, However, what we got, I suppose, was was kind of the opposite of that. It was a really high-level draft document with with no real details or clarity um, or even any real direction, um, which would make um, building a project come come anywhere close to fruition. Um, There was a a bit of a last-minute decision, as we understand it in Farmer's Journal, to launch this strategy, the strategy which has been in development for nearly a year, um, to, to put it into consultation, um, because prior to that it wasn't supposed to go to consultation, it was supposed to be published, and that was it. Um, however, a decision was taken, and now um, everyone, all the farmers, the public, businesses, etc., will have an opportunity to feed into an online consultation on this strategy to help, uh, to help shape it, I suppose. And, um, John, there's a lot of shaping to be done.
0: And, Stephen, could you please remind our listeners of that online connection where people can contribute in some way their own opinions or their concerns or approval for the biomethane strategy. And as regards our listeners, the fact that it's being called a farmer-centric biomethane strategy, that ought to make farmers feel reassured their views and opinions you know, will be taken into account.
4: Well, yeah, certainly that that is that is the right way to look at it. It is explicitly a a farmer centric and and agri led AD industry. That's what our government want to want to develop. That's uh, the vision for it's a vision for a new agricultural sector. And um, so this consultation, I suppose, will give farmers the opportunity to to feed into it and and to help shape it. Um, to, to really farm farmers's advantage um, and that's 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 one of the advantages of, of this conversation. Now, look the the questions I would say are they're really high level um, there's not that much detail on them. and um, you are being asked to, to answer questions that that you really need to, to come from a informed position then, or at least have a lot more background information to answer them you know and um, to, to answer them constructively which the information is just not there so how much good is going to come out of this consultation well will remains to be seen but to go back to your original point the, the consultation is available on um on and uh, um, the department, uh, the sorry the government's website Uh, in the Department of Agriculture and also the Department of uh, Environment, Climate and Communications under the public consultation section and it'll be there at the very top. So there you can actually read the 40-page document yourself, which I'd strongly advise for anyone listening, and then you can um, fill out a a very easy-to-fill-out online uh, questionnaire and that's your consultation done.
0: In terms of AD applications and the standard type of application, the government, I believe, are working towards setting up a straightforward standard application form for ad planning applications.
4: Well, not not quite, John. Not quite. What what's the? A large part of the problem that we're seeing around the country with planning applications, never mind the community acceptance, specifically what the local authorities, the planners, at planning level. Is that the the level of knowledge? Uh, is generally not there, so it's not to make an informed decision on a planning application. I'm not saying that's the case with every planner, but it's certainly the case with some planners. So uh, a big, I suppose, positive outcome of this draft consultation so far is um, that the the department, um, the government, are planning to 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 develop a kind of a standardised approach for planners on how to. Um, how to process how to understand adopt, and approach um an anaerobic digestion application, which should make things a lot smoother and a lot easier um for the for both the planners but also for for the farmers seeking to develop a project because well they will be able to follow this template, and they'll know that you know, if my project is over ten thousand tons of slurry, then that 's an ePA waste license um, or so we 're fifty thousand tons in capacity and that is an environmental impact assessment report you know there's lots of considerations that there are just massive grey areas over at the moment so hopefully um, this commitment from the government will will clarify all of that
0: and I understand we have a vast uh, area of improvement and a lot of catching up to be done because the number of AD anaerobic digesters in Ireland is extremely small do you actually have the number is it a very small number I think it is
4: no, it is. It is up there. I suppose excluding wastewater treatment plants, Just if you really chatting less than ten, so there are operational AD plants in in the Republic of Ireland. You know, nearly ninety in Northern Ireland, and um, which it was a whole, whole different story. I mean, Northern Ireland is a good example of, of what can happen whenever the right policy and supports um, and and vision is put in place for a sector. And um, so look we have a a massive job to do off those you know off those handful of operational AD plants in in Ireland in the Republic of Ireland the vast majority of them are producing electricity and so there's actually only two 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 to three we'll say um, AD plants producing biomethane as we speak and biomethane is is really what this all is all about and to replace natural gas so you know to go to say that we're going to um, go from three to 200 by the end of the decade you know it, it's, it really is it's kind of fantasy stuff john if i'm being really blunt about this and um, we thought this strategy was going to give us a really good clear you know vision and roadmap as to how we're even going to come close to developing and um, that number of plants but it's, it's, it's nowhere nowhere near the level of detail that's needed so hopefully when the actual strategy is, is published and which they have committed to publishing before the end of Q1 of 2024. Hopefully a lot of that detail will be, will be filled out. But certainly, looking at the draft, they have a lot more work to do.
0: The number of ADs in Northern Ireland and Denmark's attitude to this, it would appear there are plenty of people who have worked the situation very efficiently and effectively, and we could learn from those people instead of trying to reinvent the wheel on our own.
4: Well, that's that's precisely it. There is no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, I, I, we don't have the expertise to reinvent the wheel, um, and it's it's kind of a waste of time and energy and effort uh, to try and do that, which seems to be what we're trying to do. All we have to do is is look across the border to Northern Ireland, or probably more more importantly, look look to Europe, where there are where there are large biomesian industries. In operation, Denmark is the shining light, um, but also France and uh, Germany. A new wave of, of projects coming through in Germany, uh, Italy have a really good scheme in place at the moment. Spain don't technically have a scheme, but but we're still seeing massive development happening uh, across the country. So that's a really good example to see see how it's going to work over there. So that's that's all that's needed. So it is simply look across Europe, see what works, and bring it back home to Ireland, and and that is what. A lot of the really, you know, seasoned campaigners and, and organisations promoting biomecine and anaerobic digestion have been have been really uh, advocating for over the past number of years, you know, five years, ten years now at this stage, we're just not seeing it.
0: In the north of Ireland, Northern Ireland and overseas in Denmark in particular, and of course the Taoiseach speaking there recently referred to Denmark and said we could learn a lot uh, from Denmark. He, he'd experienced uh, Denmark's AD model, and he said, he'd, uh, Taoiseach Varadkar said, he'd like to see similar plants delivering income for both Irish farmers and energy production. He said he was in Denmark yeah, a year or yeah. two ago, and he saw how it was done there so effectively.
4: This is the real disconnect. So from that high-level um, line on, on, on AD and high-level targets on, on AD you know everyone's saying it's great everyone's saying look across europe it's working really well you know let's build 200 of these plants all we have to do is, is, is see what's happening across europe and bring it home and, and, and do it here in ireland that's what they're saying but it's not what's happening on the ground and i think that this strategy has given us a really good insight as to the level of expertise that that are lacking um to develop this sector to the degree that, that the Taoiseach uh, and and the rest of the government want to develop it too there's there's no, none of the ingredients that are needed to develop a sector are are spelled out in in this strategy and i i'll go back and i'll say that this is only a draft strategy we understand that and it does read like parts of it are missing. maybe that's done on re- for a reason because it's out to consultation at the moment and um, but certainly if if they are serious about this and if this isn't just a throwaway remark um or a throwaway target that they never intend on meeting, the, then then they really have a lot of work to do to flesh this strategy out and to make it into something that that ultimately will, will give a farmer or developer the confidence to put shovels in the ground and build AD plants uh, because that, that confidence just isn't there at the moment.
0: Could you please give us that uh, online reference where people can find out more about this uh, farmer-centric uh, strategy and offer their own contribution where it's invited?
4: Find the link to the consultation through... Um, Our stories in the Farmers Journal.ie, but if you want to go directly to um, the government's uh, website all you have to do is, is find the consultation page on www.gov.ie uh, uh, and it'll be the, 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 at the top of the page the consultation on the draft National Biomethane Strategy and all the information is there.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Mr Stephen Robb Renewables Editor, Irish Farmers Journal Thank you Stephen Noting that the start of a new year is always a good time to evaluate how Irish operations compare internationally, the chairperson of the ICMSA Dairy Committee, Mr Noel Murphy, has pointed out that Irish milk prices were, quote, downright poor by comparison with our counterparts for last year 23. According to the International Milk Price Commission, EDF, NL, The big three Irish milk purchasers included in this analysis had lagged at the bottom allegedly of the table for most of 2023. While conceding that Irish milk prices took a savage cut in the first half of 2023, which reflected cuts in international markets, Mr Murphy said Ireland's export-facing dairy sector made it more vulnerable than those producers with massive home domestic demand. But, he said, even beyond that, a discretionary gap had opened between the prices paid by Irish processors and their mainland EU counterparts. Part of a long statement there from the ICMSA Dairy Committee Chairperson, Mr Noel Murphy. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to our contributors this week: Barry O'Mahony, head of news at 6FM and C103; Marie Tuig, news reporter at 6FM and C103, and also creator of the regular Farm Talk podcasts. A special thank you to the listener for tuning in, and of course, uh, our contributors to the program. Thank you too. The Dairy Gold Farm Talk program, Saturday mornings, 7am to 8am, and on Wednesday evenings. 10 pm to 11 pm. Thanks for tuning in. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes Biotin, Yee Sac, and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk
3: solids, and fertility.